0: March, as Jay said. How cool is that? Got a little bit of, got a little bit of reverb in my voice this morning. Might have to sing a song or something while I got it. Um, So spring's coming. Does that get anybody else excited? It's like I, um, this is our, our second winter in Ohio and I am so excited about spring. I think more than I even was last Last spring of this time, just coming through just the, the you know, the cloudiness and all of that of, of winter time, we're like, we're a couple of weeks away from like daffodils and, you know, the other spring flowers and stuff like that. And so there are really, really good things ahead. And one of the things I love about the way the church calendar, the church year lines up with the season of spring is that we're in the season of leading up to Easter, and so right as like new life is, is happening all around us, right? We see it in the, in the grass and the flowers and the trees and things like that coming alive. We're in this season spiritually where we're moving toward the high point of, of our new life in Christ, of the resurrection of Jesus on, on Easter Sunday. And so right now we're in a season of Lent. Where we are on this 40 day journey with Jesus toward Resurrection Sunday. And we're preparing our hearts to be able to, to celebrate and enter into all that Jesus wants for us. But traditionally, the season of Lent is about looking at the harder things in life, looking at the winter time, looking at the darker things, and preparing ourselves and understanding that so that we can understand how the light of Jesus is going to push the darkness back. So we're in this, season, or in this series called The Struggle is Real. We started that last week. And kind of our theme verse is out of Ephesians 6. The Struggle is Real. And if any of you guys have any great memes to show like about the struggle is real, you can send those to me and I'll, I'll try to put those on the screen if they're appropriate. Um, maybe you've heard that phrase before, like when you can't open a, a jar or something like that, you're like, ah, oh, the struggle is real or, you know. Something falls apart. Do you guys, Are you familiar with that phrase? Okay, good. That's where it came from. But it also comes from Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this struggle, this unseen struggle that we talked about last week, is a very real struggle, even though we sometimes struggle to recognize it. And so what I like to do is, I, as, as we dive into the sermon, I love to just stop and pray. So would you join me uh, in, in praying? God, it is such an amazing thing to gather as your people, to gather from all the places where our lives have taken us over the last week. And here we are, uh, to be together, to, to breathe in your spirit, to sing your songs, to, to like lift our voices to praise you, to look at your word and to let your word sink deep into our hearts, to be reminded of what is true and what is right, of like to just reorient our lives toward true north. And so Jesus, we give you authority. You, you have all authority in heaven and earth, and, and you have all authority in this room. And Jesus, we ask that you would hold this room, that you would speak, that your voice would be, would be clear, and your voice would be the loudest voice in this room. Let the meditations... Um, Of all of our hearts, be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen, amen. So the struggle is real, right? There is this, as we kind of introduced last week, there is this cosmic conflict that um, we are all caught up in, whether we want to be or not. It's kind of, it can be a little bit unsettling, right, to, to realize, like, okay, there's this, like, this battle, this conflict, that this world is, in some ways, a war zone. Did you know that? Um, and the New Testament talks this way. Um, I, I don't want to be, like, sensational, but this is, like, this is New Testament biblical language. Like, take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. The Apostle Peter, one of the leaders in the early church, he says it this way. He says, dear friends, and that word, dear friends, is, like, beloved. Like, those of you who are loved by God, beloved, um, I urge you as, for, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Do you hear that? Like, this warfare language, it isn't something we're imposing on the Bible, it's something we're learning from the Bible. This is like this strong language that there is a war being waged and what's at stake It's our souls. Right? The, the stakes could not be any higher that there is a war being waged against our souls and for our souls. Um, that on one hand, there is this good, loving creator, God, whose desire is for us to come to him and to receive life from him and in him, to be in a relationship with him. And it's in relationship with our creator, with God, that we find true life and meaning and hope and peace and wholeness for our our whole selves, that our souls find rest in Him, where we discover in Him who we were created to be, who we were always meant to be. And then He gives us purpose in this life, purpose for His kingdom, to to see His glory and His kingdom grow uh, in this world. But on the other hand, there there is the evil one. And the evil one's desire is to turn us away from God, to turn us away from our Creator, to distract us and make us doubt God. To make us trust in ourselves and in our own abilities. To lead us into temptation. So we give into to temptation, into evil desires. And then we hide in the shadows of shame. I mean, that's, that's the battle. It's a battle for our souls. And it's a big deal. Now, you might be here like, oh, come on, Pastor. Like, can we just talk about nice things? It's like springtime. Let's like talk about daisies and, you know tulips coming up and all that stuff. This is a little intense. Like, let's just talk about more pleasant things, you know? And and I get it because there's a part of us that's just like, you know, I just kind of want to, I just kind of want to fly under the radar. I just kind of want to drink some coffee and sing some songs and hear an encouraging talk and, you know, give a little bit to God's mission and then just like go on with my life. Can't we just do that? And And here is like this text and the scripture and the sermon that's just saying like, look out! Wake up! Because there's a spiritual struggle being waged and the stakes could not be higher. Uh, Greg Boyd talks about it this way. He says there are two kinds of mindsets that we can adopt. There's a vacation mindset and a warfare mindset. And he uses this image that I I think is kind of helpful. He's like, let's say you decided to go on a vacation and you, uh, you know, went on Airbnb and you booked this nice little, this nice little cottage that's on the beach. And, and you're there and you, you like settle in and you decide, um, you know, our goals for this vacation are like any vacation. It's to be as comfortable as possible and relax as much as possible, right? That's the vacation goal. <clears throat> but the beach you chose was Normandy Beach. And the day you chose to start your vacation was June fifth, nineteen forty four. So you roll up at this little cottage, and everything's good, and you're like, "All right," like making yourself at home. And you go to bed, and everything is good, and you wake up in the morning to sounds of planes flying overhead, and gunshots, and bombs going off, and and like you realize, like June sixth, nineteen forty four, it was a big problem, right? This was like phew, Normandy Beach was like the site of D Day, and this is like. This is where you are. And so, right, all of this stuff is happening around you. You, realize, you wake up and you realize, like, man, you're in a war zone. And all of a sudden, the Allied General calls you, like, somehow got your phone number, and calls you and is like, hey, your cottage is in a strategic location, and we need to use it. Like, we're going to bring our wounded there, and we need you to care for the wounded in this war. You need to help care for these folks. Your vacation's over right? Like, it's just like, to, to say, no, 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 I'm actually here to chillax a little bit. Like, uh, do people still say chillax? I don't know if they do that or not. Okay, all right. <laughs> I said it, so I'm, it's catching back on. You know, like, I'm just here to, I'm just here to be comfortable. I'm just here to relax. Like, that vacation mindset would be incredibly inappropriate, right, in that setting, wouldn't it? Are you with me? And, and so, you didn't ask to be in the war. You don't want it, but the reality is you're caught up in it. And there's important work to be done, and there are people who need us. And so this is what the scriptures tell us, that there is a struggle, that there is a spiritual struggle, and it's not against flesh and blood. It's not fought the way wars are fought here, but it's fought against these spiritual forces of evil. And part of the evil one's strategy, I think, is to lull us into this vacation mindset. It's to just kind of, there's this almost like syrupy, sweet little lullaby that says, it's okay, Just like be as comfortable as you can, relax as much as you can, and just kind of like take life easy, and and to make us to close our eyes to the the battle that is going on around us. The enemy so often is just like, hey, you know what? It's no big deal, right? It's just one little thing. It's just like it's just a little, it's just a little conversation, it's just a little click, it's just a little thing, it's just a little time, it's just a little, you know, whatever it is, and there's this syrupy sweet little lullaby that just kind of pulls us away from God, away from our Creator, and ultimately leads us to destruction for our souls and for the people around us. Now, I I want to be super clear that like I don't think like the Bible is really clear that the war is not in question. The war has been won by Jesus, right? Jesus, through his life, through his death on the cross, and through his resurrection, that was like D-Day. He, he won the decisive battle. So the war is not like, which way is it going to go? Is it going to go toward good or toward evil? Like, Jesus won the war. We sang the song about the lamb who's victorious, who's overcome. We declare that. Like, Jesus has won the war. But do you know what happened between D-Day and about a year later when it was like victory in Europe was finally finally announced? There were about 20,000 people who died in that year. Between the time when the the war was over, the battle was won, the, the foe, the enemy was defeated, but this defeated enemy still caused a lot of pain and heartbreak even while they were being defeated. And I realize this is a little bit maybe weird to understand, but, like, we live between D-Day. Like, Jesus won the war. He, through his life, death, and resurrection, he won the strategic battle. There's no question that, like, good is going to prevail. God's will is going to be done. But even as this enemy of ours is defeated, like, he can still cause pain. He can distract us and tempt us and, and... and cause a tremendous amount of pain in our lives and in the world. And that's the world we live in right now, between Jesus' ultimate victory, Jesus' victory on the cross and in the resurrection, and his ultimate victory when he comes back and sets all things right. That's where we live. Are you with me? Is that, does that kind of make sense? Okay, so one of the enemy's primary tools, and the one we want to talk about today is, this, is temptation. Now, quick show of hands, how many of you have ever been tempted? All right, this is a judgment-free zone, right? As, as Jay said, you Please raise your hand, because you've been tempted, and if you're not raising your hand, you're tempted to lie just a little bit right now. Now, temptation, right? We've all been tempted. We've all been tempted. Um, is there anyone here who has been tempted and then given in to temptation? Is that, is that a thing? Okay. So, a bunch of sinners in the room? Okay. Yeah, I'm one of them. Is there anyone here who has been tempted but never given in to temptation? Never. Like, never given in to temptation. Anybody here? Oh, wow. So, this is a pretty safe place, right? We've all been tempted, and we've all given in to temptation. Like, judgment-free zone. We're all on equal footing here. So, temptation, right? Like, what is it? What, what is it? Here, let's start with the Lord's Prayer. So, in the Lord's Prayer, like, Jesus teaches the disciples. He teaches us how to pray. And in Matthew Chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, you, you can find the Lord's Prayer. And it's, it's beautiful. Like, it's so powerful, right? Our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name. God, you are sovereign. You are in charge. And then there's this call to, like, it, God, it's your kingdom that is coming. It is your will that is being done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we're praying that you would build your kingdom here. Your kingdom, not mine. Your will, not mine in my life. Do you feel this? Like, God is sovereign. He's in charge. It's his kingdom, his will, his way here on earth as it is in heaven. God, we're going to trust you to take care of our needs, give us our daily bread. We're going to practice forgiveness, forgiving others and and being forgiven by others. Uh, We'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. And then there's this last little verse here, verse 13, and it says this, and lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from the evil one. I mean, this, this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray kind of ends with some, some grit, right? Like the, the vacation mindset doesn't work because Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. Lead us not into temptation. Like Jesus, we're asking, or Father, we're asking that you would lead us so that we don't walk into the traps of temptation, right? That's what we're asking. Jesus, you lead us so that so I, I, I miss the landmines and I don't get led astray by the temptations of the evil one, but Lord, we need you to deliver us. And that word deliver means rescue us, save us from whom? From the evil one right there is this jesus even in the lord's prayer i want us to see this that he is, is like this wake-up call that jesus wants to be wide awake and aware that this struggle is real and, and temptation is a part of the the evil one's strategy c.s lewis says it this way there is no neutral ground in the universe every square inch every split second is claimed by god and is counterclaimed by satan so there's no neutral ground. Every square inch, every, and including the square inches in your brain and in your heart and in your life, and every second there is this struggle of like, okay, like am I surrendered to God and am I following Him and letting Him lead me? Or am I being being sort of enticed into temptation? Temptation is, is one of the strategies of the evil one. So let's look at, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James, if you would. James is a brother of Jesus and he was one of the leaders in the early church. And, and he writes this, this letter to encourage um, these first Christians who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in a broken world. And, um, and so here's what he says. James 1, first couple verses, verses 2 to 4. And he says something kind of counterintuitive. He's like, okay, so consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you love a good trial? Anybody just like, sign me up for a good trial. Trials of many kinds. I love it. Bring them. Bring them on. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm pure joy. I am facing some trials. My, the bottom of my life has fallen out. And, you know, I'm just trying to hang on by a thread, but there is joy in my heart because I know that this circumstance is going to produce perseverance, and perseverance is going to build my character and my maturity in Christ so that I'm completely not like it. Anybody, like, have that perspective? It seems like a weird perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, you're like, I, I, that's my story, right? It's my story. But it's, what's that? Yeah, he's there. He's there. They're, these trials... James is like, they can produce a kind of joy because we know that coming through trials, knowing that he's there, that he's with us, that he's never going to leave us, it can produce this kind of perseverance, and our faith can grow and become mature and complete so that we're not lacking anything. Anybody want to be mature and complete in Christ so that you don't lack anything? Yeah. Like, absolutely, is what we want. I just don't want to go through trials to get there. Right? The shortcut. Give me the easy button. Here's the thing that makes this really confusing, and it is confusing. You can read commentaries on, on passages like this and throughout the New Testament, and it's confusing. And the w- thing that's confusing is the word trials there is the same word as Jesus used for temptation in the Lord's Prayer. That's weird, isn't it? So the word, the word um, I won't make you say it in Greek, but it's trials. Sometimes it's translated trials. Sometimes it's translated temptations. And sometimes it's translated testing same word so it's a trial it's a hard circumstance in life and and I'll be clear I don't believe God brings the, all the trials into our life like I don't think God's the one who causes the accidents and causes the problems and causes the pain I think we live in a broken world and sometimes bad things happen and, and so the trials they they can come from living in a broken world Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble you will have trials so that's that's one idea but then there are temptations That the evil one wants to, like, get his hooks in us and drag us away. It's the same word, and sometimes they're tests. That sometimes God will bring a test into our life so that, like, we we can sort of um, step up and trust him and that our faith grows and perseveres through this. This is confusing, isn't it? How do you know? Is this a trial? Is this a temptation or is this a test? Okay, it's the same word, translated in different ways. And I love... I love, I hope this will clear it up. I, I love what Glenn Packiam says. He says, in every trial, there is a test and a temptation. Think about that. In every trial we go through in life, there is, at the same time, there is a test and a temptation. So what does this look like? Well, maybe, maybe your life is great you are on top of the world, life is up and to the right, and you are successful, and, and it's just like things are going really well, okay? You might not think, well, that's not a trial, but what if it is? Like, there's a little bit of a trial in that, because let's say the test in that, that God is, is sort of saying, okay, how are you going to deal with success? How are you going to deal with growth? How are you going to deal with, you know, um, abundance and all of these things? and and God is inviting you in that test to keep pursuing him to keep trusting him would you would you keep like embracing simplicity and generosity and, and keep these values of like an outward focus of how you can be a blessing toward others. But at the same time, that se- success is also a temptation that the evil one would love to have you trust in your resources and trust in your abilities and trust in your, you know, your, um, the money that you're making and all of those things and to have you turn away from God and to just begin to trust yourself, that there's a temptation in that success as well. Now, on the other hand, like let's say, You're at the opposite end of life, and there is like the trial that you're facing is like everything is falling apart. And, and you're struggling, and you're struggling to make ends meet, and, and like it just feels like, man, there's, there's failure, and I don't know what to do. Things are in the tank. And the test in that might be God saying, I'm with you, and I'm for you. Will you trust me? Will you press into me? Will you listen to my voice? Will you turn to me? Will you let me provide for you? Will you trust the, the community I formed around you? And God is like testing us in that. Like, will you trust me? But the temptation is the evil one is whispering in your ear, like, give up on God. Like, walk away. Turn your back on him. He obviously doesn't care for you. So e- in every trial, every situation in life, there is, at the same time, there is a test and a temptation. And I realize this is maybe a little bit confusing, but is this helpful? If we, can, if we can learn to see it that way. There's no neutral ground that every minute, every square inch, there is a, there is a battle going on for our very souls. And every, every situation in life can, can be a, a moment, a, a test... where where we embrace God, where we walk with him, where we trust him, where we grow deeper and our faith is purified. God's will is to work in the trials of our life that will naturally come and he will test our faith and and like uh, purify our faith. And his goal is to make us mature and complete, not lacking anything. But at the same time, the evil one's desire is to use the trials in our life to tempt you in order to lead you away from God and to destroy you. This is happening at the same time. And we are right at the center of this this battleground. And so James is like, okay, so when you face these trials, understand that they are an opportunity to grow in faith. They're an opportunity to draw closer to Jesus, to depend on the Spirit, to strengthen you. James goes on then, verse, verse 13. And he says, okay, so, and these are all the same word in Greek. So when we're tempted... Right? Like when we're tempted to be sort of dragged away, um, no one should say, God is the one who's tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I mean, it's really clear, right? God, God's purpose is never to do harm to us, is never to do damage. God is not the one who, who tempts us. Um, and I think this is so important because without a framework, without an understanding of, of evil and the evil one, we will blame God for the temptations that come into our life. Do you know that? Like without, without a framework of, of evil and the evil one and where temptations come from, we will blame God. And like, I, I mean, my goodness, I have sat with so many people over the years, the 17 years of ministry, um, who, who are blaming God for the, the temptations that came into their lives and then the way they gave into those temptations and now the consequences that they're reaping. It's just like, God, why are you doing this to me? And, like, lovingly, pastorally, to say, like, can you see ways that, like, you know, the evil one put these temptations, these little lures in front of you, and you said yes to this and yes to this, these small steps, these small steps that now led you away from Jesus. You weren't turning to him. You were walking away from him, and it led you to this, like, really damaging place where, like, your life is damaged in other people's, and Jesus wants to redeem that. He didn't cause that. God is never the one who's tempting us, but sometimes we blame God and so James wants us to be really clear. God is never the one who is tempting us. And then he goes on, verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and are enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Okay, so this is how temptation works. James kind of breaks it down for us. Um, He says we are tempted when we are dragged away. It's it's almost violent language, right? We're dragged away. And what is it that's dragging us away? He says our own evil desires. They're like these desires, these cravings, these appetites inside of us that are are in us. And, And those are the things that, like, drag us away. You ever, like, look at the things, like, really honestly inside of ourselves? Like, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been a follower of Jesus for, I don't know, what am I, like I'm 41, and I've probably been following Jesus for 30 years almost, right? And I'm a follower of Jesus, and his spirit lives inside of me. And there are still some evil desires that live in there, right? And sometimes they shock me right? Sometimes I'm, I'm really surprised. They're like, whew, okay, there's, there's still this thing that can that can drag me away from Jesus if I'm not alert and I'm not aware of it. Like, we still have these desires inside of us, which I think is so, again, this like syrupy, sweet little message we hear from the culture that says just the best thing you can do is just be yourself. Be your authentic self. And I ask the question, like, whew, like which version of my authentic self should I be? Because if, if this is me, if I'm just like, oh, just be yourself, express yourself, um, it, it's actually going to lead to this kind of like, oof, lots and lots of damage, which I think we're seeing in people's lives, the, amount, the rates of depression and anxiety, and like all of these things that just like, we live in this world where that's the message, be yourself. And yet, and yet we know that can't be the answer because the answer isn't within ourselves. And, and so... Um, these desires and longings inside of us, they're actually good longings that get corrupted and misdirected. Did you know that? Like God placed like really good longings inside of every single one of us. They're, they're like core longings. They're core to what it means to be human. They're core to like our hearts. And this is one way to think about our core longings. Um, next slide. But you have, you have these, there are six core longings. And this is like, whew, I'll, I'll send this to you. If, you. if you want a picture of this, like, please like, reach out to me because this is super important. And it, it holds so much freedom if we understand it. You have a longing to be loved. And every human being does. To know I am loved and I get to give love to someone else and receive love from someone else. You have a longing for security. I want to be safe and I want to be secure. I want to know that I have, like, well-being. We have a longing for understanding. Like, I, w- I have questions that I want answered and I want knowledge of how things work and how the world works. I want to have purpose. I long for purpose, something meaningful to contribute uh, to the world. I long for significance. I want to know that I matter. And, and lastly, we long for belonging. I want to know that I'm a part of something that is bigger than myself. And, and these are wonderful longings. Like, hear this. These longings are good. These core longings inside of every human heart are, are good, and they are from God, and they are for God. Right? The, the longings are from God, and they're for God. This is what Terry Wardle says. He says these core longings are meant to draw us into God's embrace, finding rest and contentment. You know why you have these longings in your heart? It's like they're homing beacons to find your true home in God, to find rest and to be in His embrace and contentment in Him. And yet, when they're separated from God, restlessness and loneliness draw people to seek fulfillment of these God given longings in very destructive ways. So the longings are good. God put them in our hearts so that we would seek and find him, and yet the evil one tempts us and distorts us to say, you can get these core longings met somewhere else outside of God. And so at the center of every sin is a core longing that we're trying to meet apart from God. I mean, seriously, like, let that sink in. You have, a, you have like, a sin in your life you just can't get over? Like, you can't. Figure it out, and it's like sometimes um, the early church called them besetting sins. They're like strongholds of the evil one in our life. And it's like, man, I've tried everything, and I cannot seem to shake this. There are these core longings connected to that that you're trying to meet apart from God through whatever this destructive behavior is. And if we understand that, my goodness, um, it's it's the beginning, I think, of, of freedom. Now, one one more thing here about what James says in verse 14, he uses the word enticed. So we have these core longings that are misdirected and they turn into like these evil desires because they're not directed to God. They're directed towards something else. And he says we're enticed. And the word entice there is like lured or seduced. That's right. You think about like, I just thought about, this. you know, you guys do the little fishy, fishy in the brook thing when your kids were little. Do you know that? Do you know that little thing? I mean, think about this. Fishy, fishy in the brook, living his best life. Doing his little thing. Do you guys know this? Was this am I striking out here? All right, so there's, there, I'll, I'll do the whole thing. So fishy, fishy in the brook. Daddy caught him by the hook. Um, Mama fried him in the pan. Baby ate him like a man, right? Okay, so there you go. So imagine now, you're the little fishy, fishy in the brook. And uh, you're just like doing your thing, living your best life. And this is actually a tragic little nursery rhyme that we teach our kids, right? Because like all of a sudden, like, hey, I'm just like doing my thing. And oh, hey, like there's a little... There's a little lure in front of me, and it looks good. It's shiny, and it looks good, and it smells good, and it tastes good, right? So there's a little fishy, fishy in the brook. He, like, bites the hook. And he, all of a sudden, his life, the course of his life is now changing, right? He very quickly ends up in a frying pan and in the baby's stomach. There you go. I just ruined the nursery rhyme? Apparently, apparently, what's that? They kind of are. They kind of are. So this is, like, this is how the evil one works, right? It is like he, he throws his lures in front of us, um, and he throws his lures at our longings, right? These core longings, and they look good, and they are designed to seduce us, and, and, um, but they're actually designed with a hook in them. And the hook is there to control us and drag us away. From who God created us to be, from the God who is the only one who can fulfill these core longings. The evil one baits the hooks in ways with lures that make it really enticing, and um, and so these core longings they get misdirected and they actually turn into bondage. So, like we have this core longing for love, right? And and love it turns into lust. Now, I'm going to show these images. Um, this is from a Swedish artist named Andreas Varro, and they're like, wow, I sat with these for a, a while this last week, and they're intense. So I just want to warn you, like, they're, they're kind of intense, but we're kind of talking about intense stuff here. And, and so, like, love, it, it turns into to lust, and what is lust well lust it turns somebody another human being who's made in God's image and it turns them into an image to be used for our own gratification and so this core desire of love that is good but it's misdirected towards some other person and it does damage to ourselves and to others our core desire for purpose right you just like man you just never stop working next next slide you just like you can't let go i mean i look at this and i'm like So it's like a thousand years from now, they're going to dig up like our bones and what are they going to find? Like an iPhone like stuck in front of our faces. You have a core. It's kind of tragic, right? But it's like, ooh, that hits pretty close to home actually. Now, as I say this, my phone died this morning. No, I'm not not even joking. I like my alarm's going off beside my bed and I try to turn it off and my phone is like it's it's like there, but I can't, the screen doesn't work. It's completely black. I can't do anything with it. And I'm like, okay, Lord, like, what are you telling me? This is this is what he's trying to save me from. Um and so um like yeah, our, our drive for purpose, right? It's just like I work, I, I not work nonstop. I check my emails incessantly because you know why? because people need me because I matter so much. Security, well, what, our, our desire for security is a good desire, and how does it get fulfilled? It gets fulfilled in this thing called mammon. And mammon, it actually doesn't matter if we have a lot or we don't have a lot. But it's the, it's the lie that says, if I just had a little bit more, I would feel more secure. And so we miss what, what the riches, the wealth that we actually have in relationships and in God's blessing, and we believe that if we just had a little bit more, the, the core longing for belonging, I will do anything to fit in. Man, I'll do anything to fit in. Next slide. Uh, understanding, like, yep, next, next slide if you can. There we go. You know, you're taking this picture. That My goodness, it looks perfect in the frame, but life is absolute chaos everywhere else, right? I'll do anything to fit in. If, understand if I can just express myself a little bit more, then I'll feel understood. The core longing for significance. Like maybe we feel like, wow, if I buy that thing I can't afford, then people will look at me and they'll respect me. If I lie and exaggerate like, my life and make my life seem better than it really is, and people will, will like me. If I get more likes, if I get more followers, if I get more ticky-talkies, snippy-snaps, I don't know what the language is. Um, is, that what, is that what they're called, guys? <laughs> also, no. <laughs> I see, I don't know what the language is. Um, the, like, the, the verdict is in. The screens and especially social media are terrible for us. They're terrible for us. Parents, grandparents, like young people, like they—they're—they're they're terrible for us. And they're especially terrible. Like social media is, like, and, and seriously, this is irrefutable. Like all of the evidence, all of the studies that have come back in, it is very clear. T- children and teenagers, it—it it does significant damage to their emotional well-being. Social media does. Give them a phone anyhow, whatever, it's fine. Right? I mean, this is like, oh, this is the, this is some of the, like, it's not a neutral world. And, and you have algorithms, like, that are, that are, like, watching your behavior. And I think, like, they, they're designed to exploit our weaknesses, to, to steal our attention and to drag us away. And so, be, please be aware of this. So what are the core longings what core longing? What is that I messed up? There we go. What core longing are you most tempted to meet through sin? Like in what way are you today, like here, what are you most tempted to try to fulfill this deep desire in your heart, this good desire that God put there, and God wants to meet that longing in a way only He can, but you're tempted to meet it through some sinful behavior and you're dragged away. Can you name that? Can you just be honest with God about that? Of which one of these? And don't pick them all, right? Don't be overwhelmed by it, but just say, okay, God, like which one of these am I struggling most with? And just maybe you write it down and you sit with it. So I want to I end like the, just kind of like this, this last part of the sermon. I want to just talk briefly about how do we resist temptation in Jesus' name? Like to give us some tools to say, okay, like, Jesus wants to arm you for this battle, and he, he doesn't leave you vulnerable. He wants to help you resist temptation in the power of Christ. So, a couple of things. Can you, can you hang with me for, like, another seven and a half minutes or something like that? Okay. That was a rhetorical question, so. Um, okay, so, first off, temptation is not sin, Right? It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. Temptation is not sin. Martin Luther said it this way, I can't stop the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from making a nest in my hair. And I will say I have done a very good job of keeping birds from making a nest in my hair. Um, God has helped me with that a little bit. Uh, Does that, yes, thank you. (laughs) Yes, I hear that, brother. Um, So temptation isn't sin, but acting on temptation is sin. And so uh, 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter, he says it this way, 1 Peter 5, verses 8-9, Be alert, be sober-minded. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So resist him, standing firm in your faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of trouble and sufferings. So here's the enemy's plan, is he wants to isolate you. You ever watch those nature shows where, like, there's, like, a a lion or tiger or something like that, like, lurking in the shadows, like, under the brush or whatever, and there's this poor little hippo, like, baby hippo or gazelle or something like that, who, like, you know, is maybe they're struggling, maybe they're a little weak, like, they got injured or something like that, and all of a sudden, the lion, like, what do they do? They separate this, this wounded animal from the rest of the pack, and what happens when they're alone? Boom, they're devoured, right? That's what the evil one does. He's like a roaring lion, prowling lion, and he's looking for somebody to devour. So he waits till we're, till we're hurt, till we're weak, like we're wounded, and then he wants to isolate us, wants to pull us away from community, and he leads us into a temptation, and that temptation is, is like lured at our longings, and then he has us, he gets his hooks in us, and he begins to devour us. We are most vulnerable. Know your vulnerabilities. You are most vulnerable when you are on blast. When you are bored or lonely or angry or stressed or tired. Right? So, like, know this about ourselves. Like, this is when we're most vulnerable. When the, when the evil one, this prowling lion, um, if he can attack us in these moments, so bored, lonely, angry, stressed, or tired. And so he wants to separate us from community. And, and Jesus wants to call us back into community. So then, the evil one, once he has us separated, there's this temptation cycle that comes up. And it begins like this. There's a cue. There's some idea that comes into your mind. There's some temptation. There's some thought. There's some image you see. There's something like that. And it's like, okay, like, that's, there's a lure. And it's enticing. And like, wow, you start to contemplate it. And you start to little fishy, fishy in the brook. You're never going to hear that again. Like, starts looking at the lure and thinks like, well, maybe I'll just try it. Like, maybe I'll just take a little bite. Whatever we, and And it connects with our core longings, and so we do it. And so we take the cue, and then the second step is there's a routine. There's some sinful, compulsive behavior that we think is going to meet our longings, but we know that it can't. But we do the thing anyhow. We go through the sinful desire, whatever it is, the routine. And then lastly, there's a reward. It feels good. Whatever the thing is, it feels good for a little bit. Right, Even for a short time. Um, It feels good. And it does feel like there's some reward, there's some relief, there's maybe some dopamine, whatever, whatever the thing is. We bought the thing and like, oh, okay, it feels good. Until like we get the credit card statement or whatever it is. And then what do we feel? Shame. You know what shame feels like? I need to run and hide. I can't tell anybody about this. I just like, phew, I'm going to hide in the shadows of shame. This is how the evil one works. Do you recognize the cycle in your life? And, and it's often, it's just cycles of shame, right? We're just like, oh, okay, you like, cue, routine, reward, shame. And then we just, ah, oh, this temptation cycle turns into a cycle of shame. Um, know this, that there is no temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, there is no temptation that is overtaking you except that which is common to humankind, to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But when you are tempted by the evil one, right? When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There is always a way out of the temptation cycle, of the shame cycle. God provides a way out. And the Spirit is there. And Jesus is opening the door to the way out because he doesn't want you stuck in this shame-temptation cycle. So we can learn how this temptation cycle turns into a transformation cycle. So, real practical stuff. Prepare for the cues. You're going to, whatever your weaknesses are, whatever the vulnerabilities are, prepare for them. You can't take them all away. We live in a world where there are temptations, where there are vulnerabilities. Prepare for the cues. Um, Like, psychologists talk about, like, cold state and hot state. Cold state is, like, maybe right now. Right? Like, right now, like, none of my temptations seem like a big deal. Like, I, I got it. Because it's, it's a cold state. But all of a sudden, when there's a cue, when I'm prompted, when that lure is in front of me, it moves to a hot state. And all of a sudden now, there are emotions that are, like, really connected in, inside of that. So in your cold state, use your rational mind, Right? to prepare for the cues, to, to have a, a strategy maybe of how you can avoid them. It, maybe there are parts of your life. I should never go there. I should never be on a laptop or my cell phone. I should never take it into those places where it's private. I should never go into those environments. I should never be around those people. I should strategically avoid particular areas where I know I'm most vulnerable. And Jesus is like, he's super clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Like if, if your right hand causes you to stumble, like cut it, cut it off, throw it away. Like, get rid of these parts of your life that are, that are prone to make you stumble. Use the strategic, the strategic plan to avoid cues wherever you can. When cues come then, wait a second. Just wait. Because your emotions burn super hot, but then they burn out. Did you know that? You know your grandma is like super wise? Because your grandma, she, she told you, maybe, she's like, hey, before you react, wait like 30 seconds. Just count to 30. Did your grandma's tell you that? What, count to 30 or something like that? And she was right. Like grandma was brilliant. Because it's true. If you can endure about 30 seconds, 45 seconds maybe, of that hot, emotional, like temptation, it burns out. And then... You move back into a cold state where you can choose rationally to say, no, 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 this is not who I wanna be. I know this is a, this is a lie. Uh, and lastly, when you have a cue and you're in that hot state, ask for help. I mean, right? Don't let the evil one separate you from community. Ask for help. Call up somebody. Have a support team, whatever it is. Be honest, be vulnerable. Secondly, so those are the cues. The second thing, the routine, right? You can reframe the routine in your mind. I don't have to give in to this. Like the routine, it, this might this test or this, this trial, it might be a test where I can actually move more toward Christ-likeness, where I can become more mature and complete and have Jesus at the center of my life. Reframe the routine as an opportunity to grow in faith. Replace the routine with something, with something better than the sinful desire. Like when you have the cue, let it be like a sticky note that says like, um, somebody taught me this a long time ago, like if you're tempted to lust, let's say, um, you, rather than that idea of turning a, a human being made in God's image into an image to be used for your own gratification, when a cue comes to say, like, oh, okay, I would normally go down this routine of lust, have a sticky note in your brain that you say, I partner with God to say this person is a ceaseless spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's good universe. How about that? How about every time you're tempted to turn somebody into an object in your mind, you say, this is a ceaseless spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's good universe. What are you doing? You're partnering with God to be a blessing. And so you can can replace this routine with something healthy. And what's the reward in this? I mean, the reward is like, wow. It's like strength, maturity in Christ, growth in Christ, blessing others. There is this reward. There's no shame in this. Jesus wants to set us free from the cycles of shame. Um, okay. So there we go. These are just some practical ways to resist temptation. Is this helpful at all? Okay. So, Jesus wants to arm us for this battle. He's with us. He's never going to let us go. There are all, there's always a way out. There's always a way out of temptation. But let's also be honest. We're probably going to lose some battles. Right? I mean, like, right? We there are still evil desires in us and there are battles that we are going to lose and so what do we do when we lose? Is there anyone here who has been tempted but never given in? The answer is no, right? Is there anyone who has been tempted but never given in? Just one. Hebrews 4.15 says this, he, we have one who has been tempted in every way in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Is there anyone who's been tempted but hasn't sinned? Just one. And Jesus is faithful even when we fail. Would you lock that into your mind? Like, Jesus is faithful even when we fail, even when we take the bait, even when we bite the lure, even when we get dragged away. Like, don't ever let the evil one convince you that, wow, well, he can't forgive you now, like, you're too far gone, they're, the cycle's of shame, they're too deep, you have to run and hide. Like, Jesus is faithful even when we fail. Even our failures, he can turn around and use for his glory and for your good. Do you believe that? Like, I know it's late, but come on, somebody can say amen to that. Think about the life of Jesus, that he was opposed by the religious leaders who were supposed to be on his side. They missed it, and he stayed faithful even when they failed. He was abandoned by his followers, people he poured his life into. They failed him, and he was faithful to them. That he was betrayed by one of his own, by Judas, who, who turned his back on him, and Jesus stayed faithful. That Jesus was tempted to use his power for his own gain, but he didn't. He resisted the temptation and he stayed faithful. He was mocked and he was shamed by political leaders, and he stayed faithful. He was tortured and crucified by those who he came to save. And in the moment of humanity's biggest failure, he stayed faithful. And Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, he turned our most fatal failure into our very salvation. God the Father turned around for his glory and for our good the failures of humanity by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And this is where our hope is anchored, in his life, in his faithfulness, and in his resurrection power. Brothers and sisters, even when we fail, he remains Faithful, would you trust him? He loves you, and he's for you, and he wants to fulfill these core longings, and only he can. Can we be a community that just like is is full of grace, full of truth, full of love, and calls each other back to Jesus because he is faithful in ways that we in ways that we desperately, desperately need? Would you? Um, worship team is going to come up. Um, and let's just. Would you stand with me? I know you've been sitting a long time. Would you stand? We're going to prepare to sing, but I just want to let, let, let the Spirit have a little space in our hearts to just to speak. And if there's one of these core longings, you realize, wow, like the Spirit's working here because I, I'm in this, this cycle, this temptation cycle, and I'm living in it, and I need help. Um, would we just be honest with Jesus about that? And... Um, yeah. If you need, like, uh, Kyra kind of introduced this the other, the other day. It's just kind of this space, like, at the front here. Like, if you just need help, if you need, like, oh, my goodness, I'm stuck, and I just need help. And again, this is a safe space. There's no judgment. We just, like, come forward, and you can just, like, I'll move, I'll move the podium here, and we'll create some space up here. And you can just come forward. You can kneel. You can sit on the front row. You can pray. Um, People around, you can gather around you, pray for you, to know that like, that the evil one doesn't have power over you, that you can be set free, you can be delivered in Jesus' name, that Jesus wants to set us free. Can we just be, I just want to create space for this, this morning. So let's, let's pray. Lord, you are the victorious king of heaven and earth. You are the one who is faithful. And, Lord, we need you, and we need your power. We need your, your help, your spirit to fill us and move in us. Lord, we need um, your help. And I pray, like, if any of us, Lord, are, are struggling, are in bondage, and we just feel beaten down, and like we need to hide in the shadows of shame, just bring the truth, the light of your love into us to set us free. God, give us the courage to respond to you in whatever way. Lord, you, you are prompting our hearts. We just give you full access, Jesus, your voice, your authority in this place. Let it it speak. Let it be clear. Bring freedom, bring healing, bring deliverance in Jesus' name.